Chapter 13 of The Fairy Spinning Wheel and the Tales It Spun. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anthony Gerges. The Fairy Spinning Wheel and the Tales It Spun by Catul Mendez. Translated by Thomas Yandre Vivienne. 1855-1925 Chapter 13 The Dear Departed The whole kingdom was plunged in grief, the reason being that, since the young king had become a widower, he no longer occupied himself with anything concerning the state, but passed his days and night weeping before a portrait of The Dear Departed. This portrait was his own work, the king having learned to paint expressly for the purpose of reproducing her face, and it was now his only consolation. He never could keep back his tears when looking at the picture, but he would not have exchanged the bitterness of these tears for the happiest smiles. In vain his cabinet minister said to him, Sire, we have received disquieting news. The new king of Ormus is raising a numberless army to invade your estates. He made believe not to have heard them, and remained with his eyes fixed upon the beloved image. One day, he became so angry with one of his chamberlains that he almost killed him, the poor courtier having ventured to hint that grief, however sharp and real, should not last forever, and that his royal master would do well to think of marrying some young girl, no matter whether she might be the niece of an emperor or the daughter of a peasant. Monster, cried the inconsolable widower, how dare you give me such base counsel? You advise me to be unfaithful to the most loving of queens? Out of my sight, or you shall die by my hand. But before leaving, learn, and tell everyone the same thing, that no woman shall ever share my throne unless she resembles, in every particular, the treasure whom I have lost. In saying this, the young king was convinced that he was making an engagement whose conditions could never be met. Even as her picture looked in its frame of gold, the poor dead young queen appeared so beautiful that nowhere in the world could her equal be found. A brunette with long hair, which flowed down over her shoulders like liquid ebony, with a high forehead of the color of old ivory, with deep eyes of a midnight blackness, with a full mouth opened in a smile which showed her teeth. She defied all comparisons or resemblances. Not even a princess who might have received in her cradle all the most precious gifts of good fairies could have such glorious dark hair, such deep brown eyes, so intelligent a forehead, or so sweet a mouth. Many months went by, indeed a whole year passed, without bringing any happy change to the sad state of affairs. The news from Ormus became more and more alarming, but the king never gave one moment's heed to the approaching danger. It is true that his ministers raised war taxes in his name, but as they put the money in their own pockets, instead of employing it to raise and equip an army, the country suffered all the horrors of war after having paid to be preserved from them. As a consequence, the king's subjects gathered every day and all the day about the palace with complaints and petitions, but the young king paid no heed to these, and remained shut up in his melancholy, his only occupation being to seek the silent charm of the portrait of the late queen. Now one day it happened that through the window he heard a passing song, a song so fresh and clear, so joyful and full of the morning, that it sounded like the warbling of a lark. He stepped to the window pane, astonished, 
pressed his face against the glass, and looked out. As he did so, he could scarcely keep back a cry of pleasure. Never, he thought, had he seen anything quite so charming as this little shepherdess driving her flock of sheep out to the fields. She was blonde, so blonde that her hair seemed to gild the sun rather than to be gilded by it. Her forehead was a trifle low and tinged with pink like the young honeysuckle. Her blue eyes were as bright as the morning, while her rosebud of a mouth was so small that even when opened in song, one could see but the tips of two or three little pearls within. The young king, charmed as he was, drew away from the sight, covering his eyes with his hands, then ashamed to think that he should have for one instant turned aside from the dear departed, he went back to the portrait and knelt before it in tears. Ah, he sobbed, you know, my treasure, that my mourning heart is yours forever, since no woman lives who in any way resembles you. Now the next day, while admiring the portrait of the dead queen, he felt a painful surprise. This is very strange, said he. It must be that this room is damp, and that the air is affecting the painting. I am sure, quite sure, he continued, that my darling's hair was not so dark as it looks there. It had not anything of that blackness which resembles liquid ebony. I remember perfectly well that there were bright gleams in it here and there. He ordered his palette and brushes brought, and soon corrected the faults in the portrait which had been caused by the damp air. Ah, he cried, when he had finished these alterations, there we have the golden hair which I loved so dearly and which I shall love forever. Then, full of a bitter sweet joy, he knelt before the portrait now, so like the beloved model, and renewed his vows of eternal constancy. But surely some wicked spirit must have been amusing itself within him, for three days had scarcely passed when he was convinced that the portrait had undergone other damaging changes. What was the meaning of this? How did it happen that the picture showed him a high forehead, the color of old ivory? He thanked his stars that his memory at any rate had not changed, for he recollected perfectly well that the forehead of his dear queen was rather low, and that there was a blush upon it, like that of the young honeysuckle. Once more, the brushes and palette were seized, and with a few strokes, he brought the golden hair down over the forehead and gave the temples a bright pink tinge. His work completed, he felt his heart glow full of a great tenderness towards the restored picture. But the next day, it was worse still. There was no doubt about it. Both the eyes and the mouth of the portrait had been changed by some mysterious power, or else by some wretched accident. Never had the dear departed had such dark eyes as these, nor that wide mouth which showed nearly all the teeth in a smile. To the contrary, indeed, cried the young king, heaven's own morning blue scarcely equaled the azure of those eyes with which she used to look upon me. While as to her mouth, it was such a rosebud that even when she opened it to sing, one could see within but the tips of a few tiny pearls. The young king's anger rose hot against this absurd portrait which was constantly contradicting his dear recollections, and, if he could only have had in his grasp the miserable enchanter who had caused these transformations, for surely there must be some enchantment at work, he would have been avenged of him in a terrible way. However, in a little while he calmed down, taking some consolation in the fact that the injuries could be undone. He set to work with the remembrance of the dear departed before his mind's eye, and a few hours later there, 
upon the canvas was seen a maiden's face with eyes as blue as the coming morning and with a mouth so small that had it been a flower it would scarcely have held three dewdrops then as he looked at the new portrait of the queen he was filled with a sweet sorrow it is she indeed it is she he sighed and so satisfied was he that when the chamberlain whose habit it was to peep through the keyhole advised him to take for a wife a pretty little shepherdess who passed singing each morning before the palace the young king made no objection finding her in every respect like the portrait of the dear departed except that perhaps she was a little prettier end of chapter 13